Kia ora team. Um, this service, every time I get up here, there's like kind of a, a hollow area in the middle. There's like the people that sit at the front and the people that sit at the back and then there's like Moses parting the Red Sea. <laughs> Should I force them to move up? Uh, I can try, Kev reckons. <laughs> Never mind. Uh, so, Romans, this, this passage has been a uh, sort of a linchpin for our church this year as Alistair has been preaching through the book of Romans, which uh, I think is particularly awesome and particularly relevant. Uh, and this pa- passage in particular has been a focus for our church. So, And one of the things to remember about the, the church in Rome is they were a small Christian community surrounded by Rome, the Roman Empire, the pagan empire, wherein no, most people did not share their beliefs with them. So they're a small church surrounded by people that essentially now see the world differently to them, which is pretty similar to us, I would say. A lot of us would love to go back to 50, 60, 70 years ago where the church was a cultural centre point, uh, where the community at large was interested in what we had to say, what Christians had to say and what the Bible had to say about things, but that has declined over time massively in the West uh, and in New Zealand. And so, unfortunately, it doesn't appear that we're going back to that time where Christianity will be a, a centre point of culture. However, I think we can look at history and know that for sure whatever happens culturally people will be coming to know Jesus and he will be changing people's lives. And I think we can know that with confidence. So let's dig into this wee passage and see what we can take from it. Paul starts out by writing, For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. One of the things to know about Paul is we have to assume in the very least he's talking about the fact that he wasn't afraid to get a beating for the gospel. If you know anything about Paul, he was beaten up multiple times because he would not shut up about Jesus. At one point to the point where they actually thought he was dead uh, and then he got back up and got back into it. (laughs) So resilient individual to say the least. Here in Geraldine in the 21st century, the probability of us being beaten up for talking about Jesus is relatively low, uh, at least not yet. Um, But it's interesting nonetheless. So in in verses 14 and 15, right before this, Paul speaks about, he's speaking to barbarians, to Greeks. He'll speak to anyone about Jesus with this deep enthusiasm. Christianity was new at that time. And so the people could hear it without the same baggage that you and I carry when we hear about Christianity because we have all these other associations with Christianity. And I notice in myself here in the 21st century in the culture we live in this kind of, it's not an apprehension, but it's a caution in the way that I share about Jesus, that I talk about Jesus because I know that everybody has got preconceived ideas about who Jesus is, and what Christianity is about. And so I think it's really important to be explicit what the good news about Jesus is, or as Paul says here, the good news about Christ is, 
and differentiate that from anything else that might cloud people's understanding of what the gospel is. So my hope today is that we can lay out that difference. The good news about Christ is not something we should be ashamed of, and there's some other things that get confused with Christianity, which some of we could be ashamed of, be ashamed of, sorry, and that separating those two clearly will give us the confidence that we are not peddling junk, we're not peddling the sins of our forefathers, but we're actually trying to share the hope that we have in Jesus, and it's a transformative hope. So let me just dig for a second into that sentence, the good news about Christ, and I want to boil it back to its core elements. So imagine for a second that you could eliminate in your mind or in someone's mind that you know all the preconceived ideas about Christianity, and we just look at things as they are. So we're a bunch of humans on a rock floating in space, a bunch of empty stuff out there, and we have some unique characteristics. Steve, what am I doing wrong that's making it go, stand back? back. (laughs) All right. If I get real enthusiastic, I'll take a bite of it. So we have this intricate language where we can communicate with each other like no other creature. We have an awareness of right and wrong, a sense of morality, which is not there in other creatures. We have an awareness of ourselves, and we can imagine and plan for the future, not to mention our capacity for this bizarre concept called love. So that makes us truly unique creatures, and as unique, thoughtful creatures, we're interested in our origins. Where did we come from? How did we get here? What are we doing here? And so if we start at the beginning in the most simplest sense, most people in our culture now in the 21st century would say, well, as, as well as we can understand, there was a big vacuum, there were protons and neutrons flying across that vacuum, they collided, it made matter, it's never happened again since, and through a series of coincidences, we happen to be here. And for some people that's enough. I have a lot of friends whom that is enough. I was talking to a friend recently about this, um, and we were having a good chat, he's a really thoughtful guy, and I said, well, where do the protons and the neutrons come from? And he stopped for a second, and he's like, I actually hadn't thought of that. Um, so nothing's as clear-cut as it seems, but we all have an opinion on where we came from. And so we have that one group, it's all a coincidence, and then from there we have various kinds of religions that essentially make some kind of statement along these lines. It seems like there's things are more orchestrated than not, It seems like there's someone behind it. I want to get to know that someone or something. And in essence, what's happened over time is all religions, and this must speak to some kind of natural human inclination, is religions say in one way or another, look, be good, follow these rules of the religion, and God or the thing behind everything will like you. Um, And so religion ends up looking like some kind of behavior control system. But all the while, we, when we're carrying on with religion, we have this innate notion for love that doesn't line up with this control system. Love, to care for someone whether or not they can return the favor. So love is this profound, unique characteristic of humanity that doesn't quite make sense on the purely scientific level. And so I fall into this religious trap myself, you know, the, the whole religious process, just go to church, swear less, don't punch anyone who doesn't deserve it, and I'll be right. Uh, But when we step back and we think about it, 
It's just ridiculous that the creator of the universe, of all of us, who created us with the capacity for love, would simply want us to follow a bunch of checkboxes to earn their favour. And we all know deep down that the creator of all this is far too sophisticated and loving to be interested in simple, simplistic behavioural control. And we look at innate sacrificial love. It doesn't matter who you talk to, what their background is, where they believe we came from, everybody is in awe of sacrificial love, of someone willing to give up themselves for their friends, for the people they love. It's why we're so proud of our war heroes. And this sacrificial love is actually the essence of what Paul calls the good news about Christ. It's that God loves so much, he's willing to give up all for that which he loves, which is us. So at the core of Christianity is not behavioral control systems, but love. And it speaks to an innate desire in the human heart to be sacrificially loved. And I've wrestled with this personally for 18 years, and I feel like I rediscover this somehow over and over again. And it's not dead obvious, but the sacrificial love that Jesus died on a cross for your sins, that's the core of Christianity. And if I could ask you to do one thing today, it would be to remove from your mind, particularly if you're here and you're not regularly at church, remove from your, from your mind the human conceptions of Christianity, the baggage that has built up over the centuries through some of the messed up things that Christians do. And know that it is simply about the Creator loving so much that he gave himself for us. Christians, how could we possibly be ashamed of that? There's other things we could be ashamed of in association with Christianity, but I can't see how we can be ashamed of that. Sometimes I'm ashamed of my own actions. I lie in bed at night and I think about things I've done, things I've said, and I'm like, oh, man. I mean, it's embarrassing in and of itself, but I also think I really hope that that person doesn't associate this moron with Jesus, like that I am representative completely of Jesus. That's not the case. I'm just someone stumbling forward trying to follow Jesus. And sometimes I'm ashamed of the actions of Christianity at large. I mean, Christianity has been used to justify murder and violence. When I talk to friends uh, and we're able to get onto something meaningful and spiritual and I discuss my faith in Jesus, often someone will throw out something like, ah, but the priests stated X. Or those prosperity pastors, they're taking people's money. Sometimes I'm ashamed of what the culture at large thinks Christianity is about. And that, you know, should drive us to be clearer about our faith, to differentiate what Christianity is really about. If you ask the average person on the street what Christianity is about, you might get an answer like, oh, it's about being a good person. But there's all these messed up associations with Christianity. Many of these things that Christians have done, that have, as they've stumbled forward, seem to have been done in the name of Christianity, but they're not right. Almost like, it's almost like all humans, even if they're Christians, are deeply messed up and need saving. To attribute the messed up actions of Christians to Jesus, to say, well, look how messed up they are, obviously Christianity's wrong, 
it's a little bit like if you look at these ram raids in Auckland, people have been smashing cars into buildings to rob them. Someone takes a Toyota Hilux and smashes it into a building to rob it. And someone stands back and says, well, I saw a guy on the news smash up a shop with a Toyota. I am never stepping foot in a Toyota dealership. Those bunch of hypocrites. That's such a ridiculous comparison. But we do that to Christianity all the time. The followers of Christianity are messed up. That's why they're Christians, because they know they're messed up. And they need Jesus. But Christianity is about Jesus. It's not about the broken followers. And so I don't see a reason to be ashamed of this good news about Jesus. It is literally what humanity needs. As Paul says in this passage, it is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. It's the power of God. I'll give you some examples. There are very few prison leaders, prison wardens, regardless of their personal leanings and their personal religious views, who won't allow Christian ministry into their prisons. Why? Because they have seen the gospel change people's lives. Some of the meanest criminals, and they have seen them transformed by the gospel. I'll give you another example. There's a fellow named Matthew Paris. He's a well-known atheist writer. He used to be a politician in Britain, but he was born in Africa, grew up in Africa, and has seen a lot of the harshness of poverty firsthand. If you look online, he wrote an article that's called, As an Atheist, I Truly Believe Africa Needs God. And he talks about traveling around Africa, seeing all of this UN money getting wasted on programs that are full of corruption, Christian money that has been donated for programs that get stolen. And he said, the only thing that seems to be making a lasting difference is when people get to know this Jesus. I don't understand it myself personally, but they make this proclamation that they know Jesus and their life seems to be focused at something different rather than getting whatever they can. I highly recommend reading the article in full. I'm trying to paraphrase, paraphrase it weekly. His name is Matthew Paris. <clears throat> and the power of God at work in my own life, I've seen the power of God at work. This was not a magical, instantaneous change from devil to choir boy. Um, as I'm sure any of you who know me are aware, but it's a change of director, uh, trajectory from I'll do what I want, I'll do whatever makes me happy, I'll satisfy whatever impulse, change from that to, look, I'm going to stumble towards Jesus because I've tasted something better than the muck that I was aiming for. Paul goes on, this good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. And a slightly different translation of that sentence is, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. So in the gospel, in the good news of Jesus, the righteousness of God is revealed. Now, there's a small bit of banter goes on about this, the meaning of this passage and how exactly you translate it from the Greek, etc., etc. Personally, I think one of the fascinating things about the Bible is it's so well written that it can make a sentence explain two truths. So the sky is blue and the grass is green are both true, but the Bible will do that in one sentence. It's not contradictory at all. It's just really clever communication. So this sentence, this good news, tells us how God makes us right in his sight, 
is communicating two things. One is, it's how God makes us right with him by saving us, God's righteousness that he gives to us. But it's also saying the good news about Jesus is so good, so spectacular, and it's such a change from the normal contractual world of dog-eat-dog that it reveals just how incredibly righteous God actually is. And God's serious about his righteousness. We sort of cringe a little bit when someone says that, but God's actually the one that is, it's okay for him to be serious about his righteousness. If any of us are, it's a problem. <clears throat> this, this good news about Jesus is not about you or how neat you are. It's about God and how gracious and loving he is. The sentence wraps up, this is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. We've got no reason to boast. We, as Christians, we as a church, by being here, coming to church, trying to worship Jesus, are admitting that we need help, that we need this good news about Jesus, and all we can do is put our trust in him. This is a hospital for broken people stumbling towards Jesus. This isn't a museum for people that have got it together. In Ephesians chapter 2, it's written like this, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. That's Ephesians chapter 2. And I don't know about you guys, but me personally, I tend to slide away from this core truth over time. I start getting enthusiastic about all these other things I might have to offer, but they're not central. What we really have of value is that Jesus has given himself for all of us. In 100 years, our political opinions won't be relevant. Our attempts to make Jesus cool and trendy still won't work. Christians will still be messing up and doing unchristian things. But the good news about Jesus will still be transforming hearts and minds. I'm going to get a little bit speculative here, so I should probably like step to one side or something, but I personally believe, from my understanding of the Bible, that God has chosen you and I in this time for a very good reason. I think... Quite often we feel that life is fatalistic and we just happen to be here, but I really believe that God has chosen us in this time to be a conduit between truth, between this hopeful truth about Jesus on the one hand and the messed up culture that keeps changing on the other hand. And our role is to be in the middle, communicating truth across to the culture. I have no idea why God chose a mixed up people like us to carry that light, but he did a fragile jar of clay carrying a great light. But there's something beautiful to consider in light of that. Throughout history, our role as God's people has been to know God, have a relationship with him and glorify him. So if you're asking yourself, why am I here in Geraldine in 2022 doing what I do? I personally believe it's because God, in his insane level of graciousness, has chosen messed up vessels like you and me to put his light in and share it with the culture that we are, happen to be in. So, we need to be absolutely clear on what we are and are not ashamed of. 
the pressure to tweak our message, to just twist things a little bit over time, to suit the culture at large is phenomenal. The world is full of wounded people who will say to you, I'll, I'll join your church if you just make it all about me and my felt needs. You can fill the church up real quick with that. But it's not, and it never will be. And it's not about me either. It's about Jesus. Your needs, my needs, are to repent of living as if we're God. We know we're not. To repent of living as if we're God and to put our trust in Jesus. Or your need is to stop playing religious and carrying on this silly little performance of religiosity and put your hope in Jesus. Our message, St. Andrews, in the simplest sense is you're messed up and you know it, I'm messed up, and I know you're messed up because I'm messed up too. Come with me, repent, let's put our hope in Jesus and what he's done rather than what we can do. May what the culture at large knows about us, first and foremost, is that we know we're broken. We know Christians have been pains in the neck, but we believe that Jesus has gifted us forgiveness and we're stumbling towards him. And that's what we're not ashamed of. Everything else is detail. Some of it's good, a lot of it's good, but it's detail compared to that core message of the gospel. And Paul lays it out there in Romans for us. So let me pray. Father, help us to keep at the center what you've made central, Father. Help us to not get, a drag, get dragged away into a million other important seeming quests. Help us to never let Jesus be the means, but may Jesus be the ends that we are reaching toward, Father. Help us by your Holy Spirit, Lord, to represent you well, to be jars of clay that let the beautiful light of your gospel out into the world around us, Father. Amen.